All right, let's take our Bibles this morning, and uh, we're going to be in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 8. Um, I always love how the Lord uh, coordinates different things, and um, uh, the song, uh, our second... Uh, the second to last song we sang, our hymn, uh, that song about, uh, uh, let's see here, remind me of the title of that, Brother Dave, Just Like His Great Love, and uh, talking about as far as uh, calming the seas and the storms and all that. Well, that just happens to be the uh, story we're going to look at this morning in Luke chapter 8, and I think that's uh, uh, Lord just confirming, hey, this is the message we need to hear this morning, amen? So if you find your place, stand with me, Luke chapter 8. And I'm going to read just uh, a couple verses to you here, beginning in chapter 20, I'm sorry, verse 22, Luke chapter 8, verse 22. The Bible says, Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over into the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For He commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey Him. Amen. I love that that uh, end where it says, What manner of man is this? Amen. Well, I'll tell you, folks, I'll tell you what manner of man it was. It was the Son of God. And uh, what a, a tremendous truth here. Let's pray. Lord, we love You tonight, this morning, God. we thankful for allowing us to be in Your house. Thank you, Lord, for your people. And God, we just are so appreciative, Lord, of all you do for us. And now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, we ask that you'd speak to us this morning. God, we need to hear from you. And Lord, we need you to uh, be here in our presence. Holy Spirit, we need you to uh, work on our hearts. And, and please, God, just be with us today. God, we, we can't do this without you, Lord. I can't preach without you, God. I need your help. I need your power. So, Lord, I pray you bless us. We pray today and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Of course, uh, Jesus here uh, was um, in verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day, and uh, there was a uh, came a point in time uh, where it was time for them to move on to a different place. And he commanded uh, his disciples uh, to uh, get into that ship, get into that boat, and they were going to go across the other side of the lake. Now, uh, when he's talking about going across the other side of the lake, uh, it wasn't like Lake Patoka, okay? Patoka Lake, all right? That's what it, what, what, what wasn't what it was. Uh, it was the Sea of Galilee, which is a big body of water. And uh, in fact, it's, it's massive. It would be kind of like uh, uh, a little bit comparable to one of the Great Lakes. If you've ever seen uh, Lake Michigan or Lake Erie or Superior, a lake like that, uh, that's a big body of water. In fact, if if you didn't know you were looking at a lake, you might be thinking you were looking at an ocean. I mean, that's a massive body of water. And so they were to go across that lake. Well, as they were going across that lake, uh, they encountered a storm, and uh, that storm uh, was in jeopardy of, of sinking that ship and that boat, and the disciples were afraid, and Jesus, of course, calmed that sea and calmed the storm and, and calmed everything and brought it back down to where uh, they were so amazed that, that that could happen. And so this morning, as we look at this story, and we're going to draw some spiritual truths from it. And I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled this, Get in the Boat. Get in the boat. And uh, you see, folks, uh, there's some times in life where God's going to want you to just
just get in the boat. And uh, you're going to maybe think to yourself, well, I don't know that I want to get in the boat. Well, guess what? Get in it anyway. Amen? And so uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me just give you a few truths uh, from this passage. Uh, first of all, let me say this, that uh, when the disciples got in the boat, they were in the will of God by being in that boat. Amen? Hey, they were in the will of God by being in that boat. Now think about it for a minute. They were in the boat so they could go somewhere. They were in the boat so they could accomplish uh, something to help others. And you know what? You're only going to go someplace as a Christian. You're only going to accomplish some things as a Christian if you're in the will of God for your life. Amen? The will of God for your life. Now, notice the response of the disciples when the Master gave the command. Again, notice what it says. And it says this, And they launched forth. You know what? Jesus said, Hey guys, get in a boat. We're going somewhere. And you know what they did? They got in a boat and they launched forth. Amen? Listen, that was their response when the Master commanded them to do it. They simply obeyed. And by the way, that ought to be our response as well. Amen? It's important for us as Christians to obey the Master and be in His will. By the way, why is it important for us to be in His will? Uh, Why is it important for us to do what God wants instead of what we want? Well, folks, let me just say this. You know what? Uh, uh, Great things can be accomplished within the will of God. And God has... Let me just remind you of this great truth. God has a will. God has a plan for every single one of us. Amen? If you're here this morning, and you're breathing, and you're alive, God's got a plan for your life. And I'm thankful for that. Amen? I'm so thankful that God doesn't just save us and leave us here as Christians to figure it out on our own. He says, no, I got something I want you to do. I got something I want you to accomplish. But you know what sometimes I think we do? I think we complicate the will of God for our life. By the way, it's not complicated. Amen? Now, I know our young people are are in children's church this morning, but you know what? Even for young people, it's not complicated. You know God has a will for kids? Yeah, He does. You know what it's called? It's called this. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Hey, even young people can be within the will of God for their life. You know what, as adults, uh, we can be in the will of God. You say, well, what what is that for me? Well, pretty simple, pretty clear, pretty plain. Jesus gave us this, the first and greatest commandment. What was that first and greatest command? That thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Amen? And then the secondly is namely like this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Do you realize by obeying just the first and second command that that right there pretty much encompasses uh, most of the other commands of the Word of God? Now listen to me, folks. Hey, it's not some hard, uh, mysterious thing to figure out God's will for our life. I think, again, sometimes we try to complicate it. I think we try to make it like it's this big mystery, this big hidden secret that we've got to try to pry out of God. That's not what it is at all. Now I'll say this. Does God have a certain place or a certain thing He wants for us to do? Sure He does. God has a calling upon our lives. But let me say this. The way to figure that out is by being obedient to the things the Bible already commands for you to do. Alright, let me say that again. If you want to figure out where exactly, like for example, for, uh, you know, uh, for myself, it was God's will for me to move to Princeton and start White River Baptist Church. But listen to me, folks. I never would have found that had I not already been obeying God where I was at. 
Amen? Now listen, if you want God to reveal to you uh, the, 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 uh, the specifics of the plan, then listen, start obeying. Amen? When you look in the Bible and you look at those who God called into service, He always called those who were busy doing what they were supposed to be doing. Always He did that. Amen? I mean, you know what? Joseph, God had a tremendous plan for Joseph's life. But you know how, uh, where uh, God started that plan at? When he was obeying his father and checking on his brethren. And you know what? That's where that started at. Joseph was already obeying. Joseph was already doing. How about Moses? God had a plan for Moses' life. Was to lead Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land. What was Moses doing? He was busy tending the flocks on the backside of the desert. How about David? God had a plan. God had a will for David's life. It was to be the, 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 the king of Israel. It was to kill the giant. It was to do all that stuff. But hey, where did he find David at? Tended sheep, tended his father's sheep out in the wilderness. How about this? Elisha. Elisha was the prodigy of the prophet, uh, of the prophet Elijah. By the way, Elisha was a phenomenal man. Elisha accomplished twice as many things as Elijah did. By the way, where did Elijah find Elisha? I'll tell you where he found him out. Plowing in the field with the oxen. Busy doing what he was supposed to be doing. How about Daniel? God had a plan for Daniel's life. He was the, the one that God revealed all those prophetic uh, future events to. He was the one that impacted the, the kingdom of Babylon. Where What was Daniel doing? Refusing to defile himself with the king's meat? How about the disciples? What were they doing? They were busy in their fishing business. Hey, folks, let me just say this, all right? If you want God to show you what His revealed will for your life is, get busy doing what you know is right to do. Just get busy doing it. I'll just tell you this. God's not going to reveal His will to people who can't even obey the basics of the Christian's life, of the Christian life. Amen? How about this? Is it God's will for me to come to church? Let me answer that for you. Yes. Is it God's will for you to read your Bible? Let me answer that for you. Yes. Is it God's will for you to have a relationship with Him through prayer? Is it God's will for you to tell others about Christ? Is it God's will for you to be to love your spouse and be faithful and, and, and raise your family right? Yes, 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 and yes. Amen? Now listen, just do the things the Bible says to do, and by doing so, you'll be in the will of God. And you know what you're going to find you find out? As you are living within the, uh, the will of God, God may come along and show you something else He wants for you to do. Amen? So number one, get in the boat of being in God's will. Number two, by being in the boat, how about this? They were exposed to a storm. By being in the boat... They were exposed to a storm. Again, uh, let's go back to our text here in Luke chapter 8. And notice what it says in verse 23. And there came down a storm of, of, uh, of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water, and they were in jeopardy. Now let me ask you a question for a minute, alright? Was the boat the will of God for their lives at that moment, yes or no? Yes, it was. So it must have been the will of God for them to come across a storm. Now you may say to yourself, well, they would have been safer on land. Maybe, but guess what? The will of God wasn't for them to stay on the land. On the land wasn't where Jesus was at. On the land, they would have, uh, wouldn't have got where God wanted them to go. Hey, the boat was the bill of, what was the will of God, and the boat was where they met the storm. 
Have you ever noticed before, sometimes it's the Christians who are doing the will of God, accomplishing things for eternity, that seem to have sometimes these, these, these uh, monumentous storms in life? I mean, have you ever heard someone maybe say this? I can't believe that's happening to them. I mean, they, they're, they're, they're busy serving God. They're doing so much. And why is that happening to them? And if we're not careful, we'll fail to realize the storm is part of the territory that comes with being in the boat. By the way, you know what, folks? I'd much rather be in the boat, going somewhere, accomplishing something that's going to last for eternity than lazing in a lawn chair safe back on the dry land. Yeah, the boat's where the storm is, but the boat's where the water's coming in at. The boat where's the fear sometimes may be. But look what else is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. Amen? That's where the miracles are at. And by the way, the boat is where your faith is increased at. Now, folks, I'll just say this. You know what? You will encounter storms if you decide to get in the boat of the will of God. I love reading biographies of different uh, 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 Christians of yesteryear, particularly Christian uh, missionaries. And uh, maybe you've heard of this uh, Christian missionary named Adoniram Judson. Maybe you've heard of Judson. Uh, I'll just give you a quick uh, story here uh, of Judson and his life as a missionary. He was born on February the 19th, 1812. No, I'm sorry, that was the day uh, him and his bride set sail for India. February the ni- uh, February 19th, 1812. Supported by the American Board for Foreign Missions. But on the voyage, Judson, while doing translation work, saw the teaching of immersion as the mode of baptism in the Bible. Consciously and courageously, he cut off his support under the congregational board until a Baptist board could be found to support him because he realized that those supporting him didn't believe what the Bible had to say about salvation and baptism. The Judsons were rejected entrance into India to preach the gospel to the Hindus by the East India Company. And after many trying times, frustrations, fears, and failures, they finally found an open door in Rangoon, Burma. There were not only, there, there were, there was not one known Christian in the land of millions. Think about that. Hey, not just a few, none. Not, uh, not one single Christian in the land of millions. There were no friends in the robber infested, idolatry infected, iniquity filled land. A baby was born to alleviate the loneliness of the young couple, but it was to be only for a temporary time. Eight months later, Roger William Judson was buried under a great mango tree. The melancholy tum-tum of the death drum for the thousands claimed by uh, cholera and the firing cannons and the beating on houses with clubs to ward off demons tormented the sensitive spiritual souls of that missionary couple. There were no converts. It was to be six long, soul-crushing, heartbreaking years before the date of the first decision for Christ. Now think about that. We just celebrate our sixth anniversary Right? And you know what? Uh, if, if you'd go six years without a convert, people would probably start thinking that you were out of the will of God. Something must be wrong with you if you can't see anybody saved in six years. Then on June 27, 1819, Judson baptized the first Burman believer. Judson jotted in his journal, Oh, may it prove to be the beginning of a series of baptisms in the Burman Empire, which shall continue in uninterrupted success to the end of agents. Converts were at slowly added, a second, then three, then six, then finally to 18. But op- to opposition came. Again, think about that. Opposition came. By the way, anytime you're doing a work for God, expect opposition. Opposition came. Judson was imprisoned as a British spy. 
an imprisonment of 21 months. Think about that. Judson was condemned to die, but in an answer to prayers to God and the incessant pleadings of his wife to officials, Judson's life was spared, and finally, British intervention freed him from imprisonment. The work progressed, and the gospel power began to open blind eyes, break adultery, shackled hearts, transform the newly begotten converts into triumphant Christians. On April the 12th, 1850, at the age of 62, Judson died. Except for a few months when he returned to America after 34 years from his first sailing. Think about that. 34 years. He went on the mission field and he stayed there for 34 years. And he, and, um, uh, he came back for a brief time. But Judson had spent 38 years in Burma. Although he waited six years for his first convert, sometime after his death, the government survey recorded, listen to this, 210,000 Christians. One out of every 58 Burmans. It was a partial fulfillment and a monument to the spirit and ministry of the man who at the capital city of Ava gazed at the temples of Buddha and challenged this, a voice mightier than mine, a still small voice, will ere long sweep away the vestige of thy dominion. The churches of Jesus Christ will soon supplant these adulterous, mountainous, enchanting devotees of Buddha and will die away before the Christians' hymn of praise. Now you know why, uh, or, 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 or in the midst of all that success, you know what Judson and his family experienced? Storms. Storms. And you know what? Aren't you glad that after their little baby died, they didn't get mad and blame God and say, God, why is this happening to us? Lord, we've left all. We're here in the mission field. God, why would you allow our baby to die? And you know what? They didn't get better. They kept at it. And maybe after the fourth year, after the fifth year, God, we're here serving you. No one's getting saved, God. We're just wasting our time in Burma. But you know what? They stuck with it. And they stuck with it. And you know what? Eventually it came from that. It came from all these people being saved, all these churches being started, and the great story of the missionary Adoriah Judson. You think for one second that right now in eternity, Mr. Judson was, was uh, 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 disappointed that he traded his 62 years of life on earth for all those converts? You think he's disappointed about that now? Or you think that he's all uh, sad and depressed that, you know what, he lived for God's will instead of his own? I guarantee he's not. Amen? And I'll just say this, you know what? Yes, you will be exposed to storms in the boat, but it's part of it. Amen? So number one, they were in the will of God by being in the boat. Number two, by being in the boat, they were exposed to the storm. Number three, how about this? Man, this is good. Amen? Their help came from within the boat. Their help came from within the boat. Now remember who these disciples were. All right, They weren't just weekend warriors. They were experienced fishermen. They had seen storms before. They'd been through storms before. They knew how to cope with storms. But you know what? This one just about got them. Notice what it says back in verse 23. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Now listen, I, I'm not a big guy that goes out on water a whole lot, okay? I, I, I'm a landlubber, okay? That's me, okay? But uh, all I know is this. If you're out on a lake and your boat's filling with water, that's not good, okay? That's not supposed to happen. The water's supposed to be outside of the boat, not in the boat, but the Bible says, listen, they didn't just get a little bit wet, okay? No, their boat was filling with water, okay? And then the Bible says they were in jeopardy. 
Okay, this was not just a, you know, uh, uh, a little bit of seasickness or a little bit of, you know, uh, a little, a little water, getting a little water splashed on. You know, this was a serious situation. By the way, they needed help. By the way, aren't you glad that they knew where to turn when they needed help? By the way, the same place we need to turn when we need help. Amen? When we're in jeopardy, when our boat's filling with water, it says in verse 24, they came to Him and awoke Him saying, Master, Master, we perish. I love Jesus' attitude in the midst of the storm. Right? What was He doing? Amen? Hey, was Jesus helping row through the waves? Was He helping bail water out of the boat? Was He thinking of perishing? No, Jesus was doing what some of you are thinking about doing right now. Going to sleep. Amen? So He was sleeping. He was taking a nap. By the way, you know why Jesus was sleeping, I believe? I believe it was an example of the peace that comes in the midst of the storm. Example of that peace. You see, folks, Jesus wasn't in the least bit upset because He knew what the outcome would be. You say, I know, and if I were Jesus, I could sleep through the storm too. But guess what? We may not be Jesus, but He sure lives inside of us, and He can give us the peace to get us through the storms of life. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, verse 3, that would keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because He trusteth in thee. Let me tell you, folks, when you're in the midst of those storms, the devil wants to get your mind a whirling. He wants you thinking about this. He wants you thinking about that. But you must choose to exercise your mind and keep it stayed on Him. Amen? How about Colossians 3.15? And let the peace of God, listen to this, rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Hey, God wants His peace to rule inside of you. Hey, Satan wants turmoil to rule inside of you. He wants doubt to rule inside of you. And God says, let my peace rule inside of you. Amen? Second Thessalonians 3.16 Now the Lord of peace Himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Folks, let me tell you, one of the, one of the benefits of having a close relationship with the master is the fact that his peace will be there with you through the midst of the storm. Now again, notice the power Christ had over the storm. By the way, that storm those disciples were so afraid of, that storm that they thought was going to end their lives, notice the power He had over it. Man, I love it. Then He arose, He rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. There was a calm. Let me tell you something, church. Just as Christ calmed the storm that day on the Sea of Galilee, He too has the power to calm the storms of our lives and to bring us safely through them. I believe when the storms of life are blowing their hardest, the blackened sky is at its darkest, it's when the Master steps in and shows His power. Amen? You see, folks, it wasn't the will of God for them to bypass the storm, but rather for them to have a chance to see Christ deliver them through the storm. I mean, come on now. Could you imagine being present? Could you imagine imagine witnessing Jesus simply speaking and the waves and the winds instantly calmed? Man, I guarantee you this. They never forgot it. Amen? Man, I bet they talked about that way up until the end. Amen? They always talked about that day. Listen, folks, they never would have witnessed that great miracle if it wasn't for the storm. Let me tell you what storms do, folks. Storms give God a chance to show forth His mighty power. And you know God oftentimes works best when things look their worst. So number one, they were in the will of God by being in the boat. Number two, by being in the boat, they were exposed to the storm. Number three, their help came from within the boat. 
Number four, how about this? It was within the boat that their faith was tested and strengthened. Again, what did Jesus say to them in verse 25? He said unto them the simple question, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? You know there's nothing more absurd and irrational than unbelief when, it, when, 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 we, when we begin to look at things uh, uh, through the biblical perspective. I mean, folks, listen. This scene before us, their absurdity is very apparent. I mean, what would be more absurd to think that the boat could possibly sink with the Son of God on board? Yet that's exactly what they feared. Let me tell you what faith does, folks. Faith sees God behind the circumstances. Remember we're preaching about it this year? Faith. What's faith do? Faith sees that God is behind those circumstances. It can be said that they did not think of the Son of God at that moment. They thought of the storm. They thought of the waves. They thought of the rising water. They thought uh, uh, of, of all the things that were going to happen to them. It seemed like a hopeless case. By the way, that's how the unbelieving heart always reasons. It only looks at the circumstances and leaves God out. That's what the unbelieving heart does. It looks at the circumstances and leaves God out. But come on now, faith, on the other hand, only looks at God. Guess what? Leaves the circumstances out. Amen? That's what faith does. Faith doesn't look at circumstances. Faith looks at God. Instead of telling God how great and how dire your circumstances are, hey, why don't you tell your circumstances how great your God is? Amen? And Jesus, of course, had a response to that lack of faith. He saith unto, him, saith unto them, verse 26, Why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? Now you may think Jesus was being hard on them, but He was only using the circumstance to test them. By the way, again, you've got to understand the context of these things. Understand the context of when these things happen. This story here occurred toward the beginning of their time with Jesus. If you go back a few chapters, you'll notice that Jesus had just called them and chosen them. Not only that, He had just taught them the parable of the sower. And I believe that Christ was adding here some fertilizer to the soil so the seed could take deep root in the lives of the disciples. Hey, Jesus wanted to see what kind of soil there's the seed had fallen upon in their lives. Verse 13 and 15, uh, we see this in, in the previous verses. You see that the men, in order to produce fruit, had to have the right soil. Amen? And again, so I believe Jesus here was, was testing the soil in their lives. And folks, listen to me. God wants those storms of life not to cause us despair, not to cause us to lose hope, but for us to see them as a magnificent display of His power. Of his power. First Peter chapter one. Listen to these verses here. Verses six and seven. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. That verse sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I should rejoice, but yet I'm in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now why in the world? How can I rejoice when I'm in heaviness through manifold temptations? Look at the next verse. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you why you can greatly rejoice, folks. Because when you have faith in God and you have faith in the plan of God, what He's trying to accomplish, you understand the end, if you'll hang on, is going to be better than what you're dealing with right now. Amen? You're looking at the end result. So let me challenge you. The next time that the boat rocks in the storms of life, 
Maybe it's so God can sure up the thing that's valuable in, in your life, and that's your faith. By the way, God's more interested in our faith being strong than He is our comfort, amen? We need to get that, by the way. Because let me tell you something, folks. Especially as Americans, comfort is a God. It's a little g-God. People just want to be comfortable. They just want to do their thing. They don't, they don't want to experience anything that makes them uncomfortable in life. Well, I'll just tell you this. That kind of faith doesn't do a whole lot, amen? So getting in the boat, that's where the good things happen. You won't ever accomplish much just sitting on the safety of the shore. No, you must trust God. By the way, God is trustworthy. God is trustworthy. And then last of all, let me give you this, because this kind of brings it all together. How about this? Number five, by being in the boat, they reached their destination. Amen? By being in the boat, they reached their destination. Look at verse 26, back in our text, Luke chapter 8. And notice what it says. And they arrived. Hey, they made it, didn't they? And they arrived at the country at the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. Hey, let me remind you of a, of a truth this morning, church. By staying in the boat with Jesus, you will reach your destination. Amen. Amen. By being in the boat with Jesus, you will reach your destination. By the way, what is our destination as Christians? What's our final destination? I'll tell you what it is. Praise God. Thank, uh, thank Him that it's heaven. Amen? That's our final destination. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven. Now that word conversation, if you look that word up, it means citizenship. That's where we're, 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 uh, uh, where we belong to. Amen? That's where our citizenship is at. That's where we call home. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something, folks. It's only through Jesus you will reach that destination. By the way, you know what that means? It means this. The boat of good works won't sell you into heaven. The boat of church membership, the boat, the boat of baptism, or by the way, the boat of even being a preacher won't eventually get you to dock on the shores of that bright uh, heavenly place. Amen? There's only one boat that gets you to heaven, and that's by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the boat that gets you there. It's what the Bible calls being born again. It's what we call being saved. So yes, I believe by being in the boat with Jesus, you will get to that destination called heaven. I guarantee you will. But you know what? I also believe that being in the boat with Jesus will take you some other place. How about this? The destination of greater service. The destination of greater service. Again, look at everything here in the Scripture within context. By the way, remember when Jesus said about getting in the boat, they needed to go to the other side? There was a reason for that. There, there was something that needed to be accomplished on the other side of that lake. What do we find here in the rest of the story here? Well, uh, we find the story that we've been talking about for a little bit the last couple of weeks. We find the story of the man possessed with devils. And the Bible tells us that story of that maniac of Gadara who Jesus healed and helped. And by the way, not just him. But if you keep reading, you know what else you find out? The healing of the woman with the issue of blood and then the raising of the of Jairus' daughter. And by the way, you think that they thought that storm was an amazing thing to see Jesus come. And by the way, it was. That was just the beginning of what Jesus was about to do. I mean, could you imagine witnessing that maniac, that demon-possessed man? I mean, you talk about being freaked out, amen? 
I guarantee you those disciples were cowering behind Jesus in fear. You know they were. They weren't up there, oh yeah, Jesus, let's do this. Let's do no, they were probably still hiding in the boat on the shore. I mean, here come that crazy man. And by the way, the, 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 the passage here tells us it was, uh, or the other passage, uh, the, the parallel passage tells us it was two crazy men, two men possessed with devils, coming running out. I mean, could you imagine seeing that come at you? And you know what? Jesus took care of that. And then He went on to heal Jairus' daughter. And then He went on to raise the dead. Listen, folks, that coming of the storm was Jesus just getting warmed up. But by the way, you know what? They would never reach that destination of greater service had they not gotten the boat. Let me just encourage you this morning. Amen? Those storms that you're facing, that, that boat that you're in, that, that seems like it's going to sink, God's got greater plans. God's got greater things in store. That's why you got to trust Him and just stay in the boat with Him. Amen? By the way, later on, these disciples start reading the book of Acts. You know what you find out? They got it. Amen? They figured it out. Now, some of them were slow learners. It took a little bit. Okay? But eventually they got it. And the Bible tells us in Luke, I'm sorry, Acts 17, verse 6, that these were the men who turned the world upside down for Christ. Amen? But you know why that happened? Because they got in the boat. They got in the boat. So church, I don't know exactly what circumstances you're finding yourself in. I don't know exactly the things in life you're dealing with. But let me tell you what the message is this morning. Here it is, very simply. Get in the boat. Get in the boat. The boat of the will of God. Listen folks, just just, just let go and let God. Amen? I didn't invent that phrase, but I like saying it. Amen? Just let go and let God. His way, His plan his boat for you to be in is the best place you can be. You say, but I'm going to face a storm. So what? By the way, guess what? You'll face storms if you're not in the boat. You're going to face storms whether you're in the will of God or out of the will of God. I think I'd rather be with the maker of the storm, the calmer of the storm, in the boat with Him when the storm comes than trying to huddle in a basement somewhere on, on shore as that storm's coming over. I want, I want to be at the Master. Amen? Hey, get in that boat. When you, when you're in that boat, I'm going to tell you, you'll find help within that boat. Your faith will be tested and strengthened in that boat. And the best thing about it is, you know what? By being in that boat, you will reach greater areas of service. Greater areas of service by being in that boat. But it's never going to happen if you first don't take that first step of faith and get in the boat. Let's pray.